This podcast is being brought to you by WXAV.com. WXAV, bringing the best artists to you. Hi, this is Peter Creighton from WXAV 88.3 FM Chicago. What you're about to hear is my exclusive interview with Nikki Silva, one half of the legendary Kitchen Sisters. In this interview, Nikki discusses how she first got into radio, how she views audio storytelling, and she gives some great advice for anyone out there who's trying to start their own podcast. Here now is my exclusive interview in its entirety with Nikki Silva from the Kitchen Sisters. So to begin with, can you kind of tell us a little bit about how you first became interested in audio storytelling? Well, um, this was in the Wayback Machine uh, when I had just gotten out of college uh, at UC Santa Cruz, and I was working in a museum in in Santa Cruz. I was doing exhibits, uh, art and history and natural science, and I was doing a lot of local history and wandering around the area, gathering people's artifacts and stories and, uh, you know, putting together shows. And... Davia, my radio partner, the other kitchen sister, had also just graduated from UC Santa Cruz, and we didn't know each other then, but we were out and about kind of finding ourselves, and she was really interested in radio, had been since she was just a young girl, and uh, in, in high school, she was the noon disc jockey at her, uh, at her high school, where she would broadcast over the PA system, and you know she just always had this great love of disc jockeys and um, radio and radio storytelling. She always says it's because she had poor eyesight <laughs> and she uh, and her ears just became her eyes. Um, I think it's more than that with her, but it, it's always it always makes me chuckle. Um, anyway, uh, she was out. Um, she had just graduated and she was doing a radio show uh, on our local non-commercial station, KUSP. And at that time, she had a, an hour-long a two-hour-long show, and she was she had decided she wanted to do oral histories, and she wanted to find out about our area and about all the old timers and about you know life in this region. And so she sort of set out to sort of uh, nose around, and it turned out that she she'd hit a place and they'd say, oh, you know, there was this woman here, and she was kind of gathering stories and artifacts for an exhibit and. Um, and, you know, her name's Nikki Silva, and uh, so Davia sort of heard that a few times, and then it took a boyfriend, I think, to really launch the quest because we had a friend in common. She was going out with him, and, and I knew him, and at one point he looked at her and said, you know, you really should meet my friend Nikki, and so she came over to the museum one day, and um, we sort of sat on the front porch of the museum looking out over the Monterey Bay, she got there about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and I think at about 8 o'clock at night, we sort of decided to, we'd better go get some dinner. We sat out there the whole, the whole afternoon just talking about our ideas and our dreams and what we, what we were thinking about, and, and we decided to work together. And so that was kind of the beginning, and she drew me into radio. We started to do oral histories together. And we just set out and got into some wonderful, fun, wacky um, situations that just uh, convinced us that this was something that really spoke to both of us and, and sort of the storytelling gene I think we were both born with. That's amazing. That's a great story. So would you say that is almost where your love of, of radio storytelling kind of began? 
I've thought about this a lot. You know, I still do museum exhibits some, and I write, and and we and Davy and I write, and she does film, and she also does uh, screenwriting and casting for film. And you know, it it's storytelling. It all is the same thing. It's different media and different ways of approaching the story, but really at the heart of it um, is the story. And I had done film before radio, and it was funny because the part I hated most about film was the sound because I couldn't see it. And, you know, I was working with quarter-inch tape then and just learning, and it just kind of drove me crazy. I was fascinated by it, but I, I'm, a, I'm a very visual person, and I just kind of couldn't see it. And then when we started to do radio together, I realized, and Davey and I talk about this a lot, we're just, it's a lot of it's, we're, we're trying to do little movies in sound. I mean, we're trying to see the sound. And I think for anybody starting out, if you just kind of think about your microphone as a camera and capturing all those kinds of shots, you know, the close-up, the mid-shot, the long shot, um, every single thing that's in the room, if it makes any kind of sound, the door, the, the sprinkler outside, the clock chiming, um, you know, capture that. It can really quickly, without words, transport a person and take them to a place where you want them to be in the story. It's another layer of, of communicating the story. It's, it's the pictures. The sound becomes the pictures. That's a fascinating approach. I've never really thought of, of the microphone as, as being the camera. Being a visual person... Does that affect then how you approach telling your audio stories? Like, do you like consciously think you're going to have to be more descriptive with with the the sounds you record? Then, I think so because without that, it's kind of like if you have a movie with just a talking head. You know, it's it's the same thing actually. It's 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 deeper. It's 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 okay. It it works, especially if it's a good storyteller and an interesting person to look at, but you can deepen it and enrich it and enrich it with that second layer when we were getting ready we we wrote a book a while back and they told us and they told us that we couldn't have photographs and i just said are you kidding me if if we can't have sound and we can't have music and we can't have if all we can have are the words you know where are where are the, there needs to be pictures there has to be that other layer because so much of what Davy and I do in our work is this kind of layering because we don't narrate mm-hmm. usually I mean in our podcasts we introduce things um, but in our radio work on air if you listen to our stuff on morning edition or all things considered and our documentaries we really have uh, sort of developed this style from the very er- from very early on, where we've kind of taken ourselves out of the picture as the narrator. Not that we don't like narration; we do, and we love it, especially when somebody's really good at it. Um, but we've tried to make those connections and keep the story moving by sort of finding that narrator in in our story like if we have multiple characters there's usually one person who's leading the charge and we hand it off to archival audio and sound and different ways that sort of keep propelling the movie and give you i mean the movie the the radio and keep you moving through um the story without actually having to say okay we're in a smoky bar room 
uh, and the jukebox is playing, and uh, you know people are there's a lot of hubbub, and someone just broke a glass. All those things that might be in a narrative can be there in sound. Fascinating. There's so many questions that are just popping in my head as you're as you're talking. It's it's fantastic. It's pretty obvious, you know, listening to all your various shows that you've done, uh, Lost and Found Sound, The Sonic Memorial Project, Hidden Kitchens, uh, your latest series, Fugitive Waves, that history plays a a, a huge part of your life and uh, is an interest for you. Can you talk a little bit about, like, how you discovered history, how you discovered that you love history? Like, do you have a first memory where, like, the light bulb went on and you go, yes, this this is the subject that is near and dear to my heart. It's funny because um, I just, I kind of feel like all the work we've done and do is this way that I've been learning history. I mean, I, honestly, it's so funny because I, I actually, if I, if I trace it back, I, I would have to say my mom was a great storyteller. Anyway, my mom was, she was great. You know, she, she had a high school education. She uh, worked as a secretary all of her life, and she just had the best way of telling a story. And she told stories about our family and all the skeletons in the closet and the history of our family. And I just and she she'd constantly in her mind be writing a book which she never wrote, which I'm very sorry she didn't. But she'd be telling me the chapter titles of the book, and you know, and I, I don't know. There was just something very compelling and. I loved, I loved listening to it and getting the inside scoop and um, the story of why things, why relationships were the way they were, and what was the backstory, and I think that really has compelled me throughout my life. And when I um, went off to college and and beyond, I mean, it was always wanting to know the story behind the story, like what isn't being told here, what isn't in the book. And the way to get that story is to ask the people, to ask the people for the other side, the B side, the side that's not usually, um, you know, talked about or written about. And so I, I think Davy and I both had that kind of, we were both compelled by that. And one of the first kind of historical things we started with, when I think it was because our parents my, both of our fathers fought in World War II, and so World War II was something that they knew about that was a huge part of their lives and that we would hear stories about, but, but we never felt personally. And I think there was this big part of both of us that always wanted to kind of understand that more. And one thing that um, I think triggered it for us was, uh, you know, we used to do this weekly radio show, and we played lots of wonderful music and we interviewed people on the air and we played some of the stories that we were gathering throughout the region you know our oral histories and one time I was my my dad had this incredible garage that was filled with anything you'd ever want you know he was a pack rat and he pulled out this box of 78 recordings that had belonged to my mom and mom's 78 so there were two boxes of them and he gave them to me for our radio show, and we were going through these boxes. And in one of the boxes was this uh, 78 um, RPM disc that was in a brown paper sleeve, and handwritten on the label, it said, To Louie, love Mrs. B. Louie, play this side first. And it was a home recording, and we'd never heard of a home recording. We didn't know anything about them, but at 
at one point you could actually get uh, record players where you could, um, instead of just listening to a record, you could actually record into the acetate and make a, a recording. And these were really popular during um, World War II, and people would send these records back and forth to each other in um you know overseas send it overseas to a loved one and they play it at a uso and we put this record on at the radio station and there was this woman's voice from another time i mean from everything about her just said you know 1942 it the sound of her voice she sang to him the music she sang her language you know she she'd say you know, hello, Louie, this is your wife again. And then she'd go on and she'd say, Did, and her jealousy would come out, do they jitterbug over there, hun? I bet they don't dance as nice as we do, do they, hun? And the, her anxiety, her her loneliness, her um, insecurity, her love, all just, we, we were transported. And we began to ask around, uh, you know, say everything out loud. We'd ask everybody about these home recordings. Turns out my mother made one and sent it to my father overseas. So we began gathering these things from people's attics and from um, Goodwill. We'd go to the secondhand store and we'd find bins and they'd be full of these recordings. And it was just a grab bag, a little mystery, like how did these get separated from their owner? And you'd find out all of these little personal things. And it was something about the voice, something Mm -hmm. about the sound and the air and the breath that really transported you to these places. And that was a huge inspira- inspiration when we decided to do the Lost and Found Sound series. And we opened up the phone lines at uh, NPR and asked people to send us, you know, t- to call us and tell us about their home recordings and about sound and how it's impacted their lives. I mean, we were trying to document how, um, how recorded sound had impacted the, the, you know, the 20th century. Uh, this was in 1999, right at the turn of the century, and it was sort of a celebration of of sound. And so those very early things we did on our live radio show really influenced, have influenced, continue to influence um, all the things that we have done. And not only that, just the the personal connection that you're discovering as you do it. I mean, we always hear radio is the personal media and you're finding these these moments of these voices where you're just being transported back to, to 1943 and it's it's time travel. It's, it sounds like an absolutely incredible experience. And then it makes you curious. I mean, that's the thing that when you asked about how, uh, when did history become a big part of things, um, it makes you curious. What happened? You know, why, what, why did this happen? What was this battle about? What, you know, what was the political atmosphere of that yeah. moment? And, and going back then and researching and then I mean, I think the most valuable thing for us has been actually talking to people and asking them for their personal stories that sort of bring that um, more um, academic, rigid interpretation of history to life. I mean, that's, I think, the key is finding that personal story. And I'd say that's the, that's the challenge, that's the goal, that's the joy of, of all the work that we're doing and all your students are doing and you're doing is finding that personal way in. Now, when when you look at to develop a story, like what what's your approach? Do you go more with what interests you, or kind of like how you found those uh, seventy eight home recordings? Do you kind of just one day it appears and and that's what sparks you? 
definitely both. I mean, it's definitely everything. It's it's kind of a way of walking through the world, you know, just that you you have your antenna up and you're thinking you're thinking about stories and you're and what grabs your attention and what grabs your imagination and what surprises you is usually something that will surprise other people. I mean, if it's a very known thing and it's an interesting known thing, then probably a lot of people know it. There's also a way, though, to go at an interesting known thing. I mean, so, for instance, when we were doing the Hidden Kitchen series, we really wanted to do something about, you know, hunger and homelessness and, uh, you know, the other side of food, you know, not, not the fun side of food, the yeah. lack of food and poverty. But, you know, that's a story that's told over and over and over, and I think a lot of people just tune that out. You know, they, the news story comes on and you just kind of go, oh, gosh, another, you know, homeless story, another poverty story. And we, that's one of the reasons we opened up this phone line um, and we asked people to, you know, help you know, crowdsource. Tell us, this was before crowdsourcing when we did this, when we started this, but it's the same thing. It's like, okay, you guys, what's out there? You know, what do you, what do you know about? And a woman called us and said that for her, the most hidden kitchen was the George Foreman Grill. And because homeless people and uh, new immigrants to the country who live in hotel rooms where they're not allowed to have a kitchen, uh, use these grills and they're sort of secret and hidden and underground and but it's their kitchen it's their the way that they eat and that one message opened up this entire world for us that then we began to say okay is this true you know is this really true and we contacted some homeless shelters actually a homeless shelter in chicago and we asked if they'd ever heard of this, and they go, oh, yeah, you know, we've, we've got this guy here who, you know, he, he, he cooks on a George Foreman grill and uh, comes into the shelter a lot. So they were, we were able, through the shelter in Chicago, to get this guy into a studio, and he told us about how he would, you know, he had an old, broken-down George Foreman grill that he'd salvaged somewhere, and under Wacker Drive, he lived in a cardboard house, and he and his friends used to plug into the poles down there and use the George Foreman grill to cook. And, you know, so this opened up this whole world. And so we thought, okay, great. Now he, we have this guy that's saying, yes, he does this. And we looked at each other and we said, does George Foreman know about this? You know, is, is this something that he knows that his little um, grill is being used in this way? So we arranged to interview George Foreman we interviewed him by phone and it was one of the most incredible interviews that I think we've ever done it was he's so articulate and so thoughtful and when we told him about the George Foreman grill being used by homeless people he launched into this story which we you know we'd read about you know his life but uh, he launched into a story story of childhood hunger and poverty which just launched this entire series of stories of hidden kitchens it's still i think one of my most favorite hidden kitchen stories it's just very deep and unexpected so that's a story that when you ask about okay is it you know how do you get your stories are you looking we're looking we're listening and we're asking i mean say everything out loud tell people what you're working on ask them if they ask them questions be curious i mean that's i think the big thing and 
and follow and follow up and keep asking. Don't just think that just because you have the one person or the one idea that it is a, a straight course. Not necessarily. I mean, we usually interview, oh gosh, fifteen people for a five-minute story. Um, maybe not that many, but you know, we have hours and hours of tape mm-hmm. uh, behind most of our stories, and some of it's just for research purposes. And you know, and then a lot of it hits the floor, obviously. But that's the beauty of podcasts. You can use a lot of that other stuff that you didn't get a chance to share. Has there ever been one story that you you wanted to tell that you haven't been able to tell yet? Yeah, I think there's a lot of stories like that that are kind of on the back burner stories that we that, that I personally have a big interest in. Maybe we've started to record uh, maybe one person and and haven't haven't finished it. I mean, I have a long list of things on my to-do list that they just keep getting shuffled to the bottom. And and a lot, and most of them sort of revolve around a person, and I don't really know the whole full story uh, about them. And I just think of this woman, Claudia Bernardi, who's from Argentina. And um, uh, we started this when we were doing the Hidden World of Girls series. We interviewed her. I interviewed her at length. Um, and we used little clips of her. She has this incredible story with her sister. Her sister is still in Argentina, and um, after the and they were both in college at the time when the dirty wars in Argentina started. And she was an artist and actually had left the country at that point. But her sister was there and was an um, anthropologist, and became like one of the leads in forensic. Uh, in forensic anthropology after the wars where they were finding out all about the war crimes and the horrible disappearances and what happened to people. And Claudia, being an artist, went would go down t- to help her sister. This was pretty early on when computer renderings of things weren't as uh, available. And um, she would plot these um, entire burial sites of when they would exhume these bodies and she would draw these elaborate charts of where the bodies were all buried and uh, little children and what was found and and then actually from that out of that has grown this big movement where claudia has opened up um you know different art centers and healing through art and anyway it's a really complicated elaborate story that's going to require a lot of work and going to Argentina and um, working with her sister as well but it's a piece called the Bernardi sisters which I've always wanted to do but it sounds absolutely incredible and I I hope you're able to to get it because I'd love to hear about it I'm joined right now with Nikki Silva from uh, one half of the kitchen sisters and uh, check them out. Their official website is kitchensisters.org. You can check out a bunch of their series that they've posted. And in fact, current series that you're working on is called Fugitive Waves, which uh, I love the, the tagline for it. It's uh, stories from the flip side of history. It's just what a great uh, uh, tagline. Do you have any uh, tips or any um, you know hints of what, what's to come in, in future episodes of Fugitive Waves? Uh, well, we just keep going. We're, you know, a lot of the, most of the stories that in Fugitive Waves are stories that we've created over the 35 years we've been working together, and then they are expanded or updated. Or so, I mean, we have um, a huge archive uh, of of material and stories. And as I was saying earlier, so much of it 
so much of the great stuff that inspires us hits the cutting room floor. So a lot of the material we're bringing um, up in Fugitive Waves is um, is from our archive, uh, as well as pushing forward. But you know, the the name Fugitive Waves really comes from Thomas Edison, who when he was uh, developing you know the first re- recording device. Um, talked about capturing fugitive waves, and this was his uh, sort of description of, um, you know, sound waves, fugitive sound waves that could be captured and sort of encapsulated uh, in on these devices. And it's just, uh, it's such an evocative idea. Yeah, yeah I, I never knew that. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. it is. You, you kind of mentioned this earlier. I want to just briefly go back to it uh, before we start wrapping up. You had mentioned uh, college radio and how your your partner, you know, first began at at a college radio station. Obviously, working at a college radio station, overseeing it. How do you think college radio plays a role into the greater media landscape? Whether it's uh, traditional broadcasting radio or uh, this new uh, digital revolution that we're underway with with podcasting. Oh, I think it's huge. I think it's huge. It's not only huge for the students, which I, I do think it is, because it's a great launching pad for whatever you want to do. I mean, you don't have to want to be a radio producer or a disc jockey to learn so much from being involved in radio. Um, I think it's great for the institution. I think it's uh, it's a set of ears, you know, that's really to the ground. It it You guys are on the cutting edge. You know, the whole world is looking at the next generation. And hoping and uh, praying for um, answers and for ideas. And I think that college radio is just an incubator, a great place for people to be experimenting and, uh, you know, pushing it out there. It doesn't matter if it doesn't work. It really, really doesn't. It, it's the experience. It's the, it's the process. It's learning how to present your ideas, how to tell a story in a way that's going to be convincing and and, uh, you know, really influence people. Even if it's a music show, you know, just the way you talk about the music, the way you draw people in and educate them about the music, convince them to listen and to push their boundaries, you know, those things, those are huge. And public speaking. And, I mean, I can't speak. I, I'm just a big fan of college radio. Our, our college radio station here in Santa Cruz, KZSC at UCSC, where Davia started, is great. I mean, they they play music and they have talk and they. Uh, I, I teach up there, um, you know, every quarter or so. I I go up and do a class with the kids that are doing the the shows, and I learn so much from them. I mean, they're you've got they've got their ear to the ground and they know what's going on. So I say yay, yay on college radio. Awesome. Final question I have for you. What advice do you have for any individual that is interested in, in finding their own storytelling voice? Well, I, I think try not, I mean, I think one of the really lucky, lucky things for, for the Kitchen Sisters, for Davia and for me, was that we, we really hadn't, <laughs> we really didn't know much about uh, what was going on in the rest of the radio world. Um, We'd listen to a lot of FM radio music, but at that point in our town, NPR, we didn't, we didn't have NPR. We'd, we'd never heard NPR. Uh, we knew about it, but we'd nev- we didn't listen to it so, and didn't really listen to the BBC. So we didn't really have this 
idea of what radio or storytelling should sound like, except from our own worlds. And I think that was a huge benefit, because I think now there's so much good stuff happening out there. I mean, on every level. And everyone is totally influenced by Ira Glass and Radio Lab and um, all the podcasts, Love and Radio, and all these people, 99% Invisible, all these people that are doing great creative things. But, you know, there are things to learn from those people. But it's it's important to try and move yourself to your own voice and and take your own style. It may not be accepted right away. I mean, when you listen to Ira Glass tell his stories, you know, NPR refused him for years. And, I mean, he worked for NPR as a reporter, but he, um, you know, when he wanted to do his own show, they, they turned him down. So, you know, he was part of, um, you know, PRI for a long time and, and WBEZ, as you guys all know. Yeah. So uh, I, I just say take chances. It's a good time to experiment. You know, be bold, be brave, be honest, and um, and and kind of listen to where you're coming from. What do you love? What's your obsession? Um, try to convince me. Try to draw me in. And I think people will be there with you. That's incredible advice, Nikki. I, I've had such a, a fun time. And it's been so insightful just just listening to you tell stories. Thank you so much for for being willing to to join me and talk to me today. Sure, and thanks for the work you're doing. I think it's it's great. I, oh. I love to hear about classes and college radio and all that's happening. So go for it. Thank you for listening to this WXAV.com podcast. Check out WXAV.com for future podcasts. WXAV, the escape from ordinary radio.